Welcome to the More Sure Word Podcast with Pastor Matt Russell, teaching and explaining the Word of God verse by verse for your spiritual growth. Here's Pastor Matt with today's sermon. Let's begin with a prayer together. Father, thank you for yet another night that we get to come around your word. We get to study it. I ask that you would help me to teach your word clearly, to interpret it correctly as you would have me, Lord, that your spirit would use the word tonight to help us to cling and hold fast to Christ, that you'd use your word to bring assurance, joy, remind us to hold fast, Lord, that your word would convict where necessary, that it would point us all back to Christ and to the truth. Lord, do your work through your word this night, I pray, and I pray in the name of your Son. Amen. All right, if you guys wouldn't mind turning to the letter of 1 John, we'll continue our study of 1 John. I hope that our study thus far has been encouraging to you, uplifting, that it's brought assurance, that it's helped you to grow in the faith. Tonight we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. In order to begin our study, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 16 first. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Listen to this passage from Matthew during the life of Christ. Matthew writes, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus asked his disciples that day a question that every single person who's ever lived and who ever will live has to wrestle with. The question of who Jesus the Nazarene is. Who is this Jesus, the Nazarene? And many people throughout history have given a response to this. They've dealt with this question, but in different ways. Joseph Smith, who started Mormonism, said that Jesus was a created being by God and a brother of Satan. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was an angel like Michael or Gabriel. Muhammad, who started Islam, said that Jesus was a prophet, nothing more. The Pope, over Roman Catholicism, and all the popes before him say that Jesus was a savior that opened the door for salvation, but he did not fully save you. He just gave you an opportunity to continue to work towards your salvation. Many supposed intellectuals will say that Jesus never actually lived. He's a mythological figure, foolishness. Gandhi said he liked Christ, but 
he didn't see anything that Christ offered different than what he could find in Hinduism. So he didn't really know Christ. Even Hitler called himself a follower of Christ, but clearly from his life we know he did not know the Jesus Christ of Scripture. Einstein said he was intrigued by Jesus Christ, but nothing more. The Gnostic false teachers of the day that John is writing this letter said that Jesus was a spirit being who did not have a human body. So the believers there were confused. They were receiving two different ideas about Christ. What the apostles had said, fully God, fully man, the son of the living God. And Jesus Christ, the spirit being who wasn't fully man and didn't really die on the cross because he was spirit. And so, like us today who have to deal with this reality, who is Jesus the Christ? So did they. And there were those in the church in Asia Minor who saw their brothers and sisters starting to follow the teachings of the Gnostics. And then you have to and then they were asking themselves, can you follow a different Christ and be saved? What do you guys think? Can you follow a misrepresented Christ and still be saved? Are Mormons really our brothers and sisters in Christ? Can you be opposed to Christ and be saved? Of course not. The Pharisees were opposed to him. Can you be neutral to Christ and be saved? Indifferent. Not really have an opinion about him. What do you guys think? No. But here's a question. What happens if you are for Christ, but then over time you become indifferent to him, opposed to him, or misrepresent him? Are you still saved? It's a tough question. How do we know who the real Christians are and who are not? And what about this? Have you ever thought, can, can, is it possible that one day I'm going to be tricked into following some other religion? Tricked into denouncing Christ? Tricked into thinking that he didn't really exist? What if I walk away and oppose him or misrepresent him? John gives us a great reassuring answer as he needed to give to the believers in Asia Minor. And so he writes in chapter 2. Look at verse 18 with me. Children, it is the last hour. And just as... You heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. John wanted to bring great assurance to the believers in Asia Minor. He wanted to clear the air. He wanted to answer this question of, am I ever going to abandon? Or what about those who have abandoned? Are they saved? And so in this passage, we see distinguishing marks of Christians and antichrists, which clarify who we are. 
which bring assurance and joy about who we are and help us feel secure in who we are. And so we begin, John begins by setting the scene for us. He describes the situation, and that comes in verse 18. Look at the situation that the believers found themselves in, even the situation we find ourselves in 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later. Look at verse 18. The situation is this. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. It's hard to know what the situation is unless we know what a couple of these terms are that he's using. First, what is the last hour? What does that mean? Any ideas? I'll help you out. The last hour started when Jesus came the first time. God has been working a plan of salvation since the beginning. And when Jesus came down to earth as a man, it begun the last hour. It's 11 o'clock. And at midnight, Christ's going to come back. He's going to come back with him with his flaming army of angels. He's going to set up his kingdom on earth. He's going to rule and judge evil and set up righteousness for a thousand years. But that time between his first coming and his second coming is the last hour. The world is moving towards a close. The scriptures often talk about the last hour in another way. The present evil age. Because the world is becoming progressively more evil. Progressively more immoral. There's progressively more error, lies, deception in the world. And it's only going to become increasingly so until Christ comes again to rule and to set it all straight. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, listen, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. We're living in the last hour. Unless you know something I don't know, Christ hasn't come back yet to take his church. And so we find ourselves in this present evil age. That's why it follows the passage that we just read last time, studied last time. Don't love the world. The world system is becoming increasingly evil, increasingly deceptive. And John says, yeah, we're in the last hour. We're in the evil age. We know that, he says, look at verse 18, because even now many antichrists have appeared. What are antichrists? That's the second thing we need to understand to understand the situation. What are antichrists? You guys can probably figure it out from the compound word. Just break it up. What's anti mean? Against. So what does that mean? What's an antichrist? Against Christ. Someone who is against Christ. But I want to shed a little bit more light on for you on this term that John uses. The Greek word for anti means against, but it also can mean in the place of. These are people who are against Christ, but they also 
put themselves in the place of Christ. Or they point to someone else who's in the place of Christ. Antichrists or anyone who oppose Christ puts themselves or someone else in the place of Christ or misrepresent Christ. They build up another Christ in their own image or from their own imagination. They distort the Christ of Scripture and create another Christ, someone in the place of him. John is saying, we are in the last hour. We know that because many antichrists have appeared. And this shouldn't surprise us, and it shouldn't have surprised the believers in Asia Minor because Jesus promised that many false teachers, many false Christians, many false converts would come into the church, come around the church, enter into the world, and try to deceive as many as they can, and even draw away believers if possible. Paul wrote to Timothy to protect him about this in 2 Timothy. Listen to this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Christ said that men would come into the world and try even to come into the church to deceive to lead people away to follow false Christs, to lead believers away from the truth. This is the situation we find ourselves in. And these men are very deceptive, as we've heard the description from Paul. Listen to what Gandhi said one time about Christ. He said, He's a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act a pretty good statement about Christ. But as we know, he did not trust in Christ as God, as the Savior. So these false teachers can be very deceptive. And so we ask ourselves, how do we know who is a Christian and who's an antichrist? If they can be that deceptive. John brings us a second distinguishing mark. He tells us who are the strangers. Who are the strangers to the church in the midst of the situation? Look at verse 19. He tells us that they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. How do we know these antichrists? 
because they infiltrate the church but eventually leave. Which is to say that they come into the church, they pose as a Christian, they may even say Christian things, they may even affirm truths of Scripture, but eventually they leave the fellowship. They leave the truth. If it goes on long enough, they start to speak error and lies and false doctrines. They begin to expose themselves for who they really are. They leave the body of believers to go back into the world, to live as the world, to believe as the world. But, John says, Christians are the church and persevere. Notice again verse 19. They went out from us. The false, the false Christians, they eventually leave the church. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Us, true believers. True believers, they don't just come into the church, infiltrate it. They are the church. They each are a member of the body of Christ. They make up the church. They don't leave. They don't come in. They are the church. And they persevere. They remain, John says. Those who are of the faith remain in the faith. So while antichrists eventually leave the truth and leave the fellowship, Christians persevere in the truth. They stay within the fellowship. And John says at the end of verse 19 that they went out so that it would be shown that they were all not of us. Joseph Smith said some great things about Jesus Christ, but eventually he spewed his heresies about Christ and showed who he really was. Gandhi may have said a great thing about Jesus, but he was a Hindu and he believed that he could achieve enlightenment himself. I once had a friend that I grew up with who some thought, probably thought, was even closer to Christ than I growing up. We grew up in Christian school together, but when we got to high school, he went full-fledged into the world into worldliness, all form of sin, believing all sorts of things. The reality is, is that antichrists, they attach themselves, but eventually they go out from the church. You guys have probably heard of method acting in Hollywood. Actors who embody the character that they're going to be. Men like Heath Ledger, who was a method actor for the Joker during the Batman series who literally, day to day, not just on set, walked like the Joker, talked like the Joker, tried to think like him, tried to be emotional like him. But eventually, he couldn't take it anymore. It literally broke him trying to be like that. And he overdosed and died. You, you guys may have heard about that story a few years ago. That's like antichrist. That's like false Christians. That's like false converts. They try to walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian, be like a Christian, but eventually they can't do it anymore because they aren't truly one from the inside. God hasn't changed them from the inside. The Spirit of God isn't within them, keeping them in the faith. And that's the blessed assurance that John gives us in the next distinguishing mark. What keeps us in the truth, brothers and sisters? What if I eventually walk away? What's going to hold me in this? What if I hear some argument from a false religion and it, and it captivates my mind and I start to believe it? John says, if you're a Christian, then you are the strengthened 
You're not the stranger. You're the strengthened. You've been strengthened. You're always being strengthened. How? Look at verse 20. Strong contrast in the Greek. But the strongest contrast you can make. These are antichrists. But you, with emphasis, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know, you all know, implied the truth. You know Christ. What is this anointing? What is an anointing? Do you guys know what an anointing is? What John's thinking of as a good Hebrew man who grew up knowing his Old Testament? Anointing was a Hebrew custom where they would apply oil to someone's head to signify that God had set them apart for a specific task. That he had equipped them for that task. They would anoint priests to show that they were the ones that God had equipped and set apart to be the mediator between God and men. They would anoint kings to show that God had equipped that man and set him apart to rule over God's people as a representative of God on earth. John says, all you Christians, you've received something that sets you apart, that equips you, that keeps you, that perseveres you in the faith. What is that? Or should I say, who is that? What separates all Christians from the rest of the world? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who came into your life, breathed spiritual life into you. Opened your blind eyes so you could see the truth of who Christ is. He's the one who continues to teach you from God's Word and shed God's love abroad in your heart. Fill your heart with the love for Christ so that you will not abandon Him. You grow in Him. You love Him. You remain in Him. John says you have this anointing. This anointing that all Christians have. The Holy Spirit. He keeps you. He grows you. It's the Holy Spirit who enables Christians to know the truth and reject the lies. Jesus said in John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. It's the Holy Spirit who is the seal that God gave us, Paul says in Ephesians. The Greek word used there is like an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is the engagement ring that Christ has given to His bride that keeps us united to Him, that shows that He's going to come back for us and that we're not going to walk away from this engagement that we have with Him. We will meet, we will reach the wedding day at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven at His banquet table. We will see Him face to face. It's the Spirit who keeps us in the truth, who helps us to recognize the false teachings of the world and helps us to reject them. It's the Holy Spirit who works to teach us God's Word, apply it to our hearts and our lives, and keep us in the faith, enabling us to make it to heaven without rejecting, opposing, or becoming indifferent to Him. And John wants the believers, and he wants you to be reminded and assured of that fact. And so in verse 21... He gives the security, the security. Look at verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, 
but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. He wants to assure them that they already know the truth. He he wasn't writing to teach them about Christ, but to remind them that you have the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you know the truth about Christ. You are saved because you put your faith in Him. You know who He really is. And you know that no lie can be compatible with the truth. The Gnostics were teaching that Jesus was just a spirit being, but they had heard the truth from the apostles that He was fully God and fully man. Both of those can't be true at the same time. They're opposed to one another. In the same way, you can't believe in the Scriptures and also believe in the Book of Mormon. You can't believe in the Scriptures and believe in the Quran. You can't believe in the Scriptures and believe what the world says about Christ. And so he's reminding them, look, you have the anointing. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And it's not that I'm writing to you because you don't know it, but because you do. Hold fast to that. Be assured that you know the truth about Christ if you hold to the teachings of the Scriptures, of the Apostles. And he also writes to remind them that they must reject the lies about Christ. If you are a Christian, then you already know the truth about Christ. Hold fast to it. Hold fast to the truth in God's Word. And if you are a Christian, then you must reject the lies about Christ. Turn them away. Expose them with God's Word. Defend His Word. John wants us to be assured. If it were up to us, we would lose our faith every day. If it was up to me, I would reject Christ every day in my sinfulness. I would be captivated by some foolish worldly philosophy. I would buy into some stupid doctrine from a false religion. But praise be to God that He's given us the Holy Spirit who keeps us in the faith, who keeps us in the truth, and keeps teaching us from His Word as we study it, as men stand up and teach it, we learn because the Holy Spirit helps our hearts and our minds to grow in it and to hold it and to be strengthened in it. So because of this, we have no other response than to praise God for the true work of the Holy Spirit. How great is the work of the Spirit that He keeps us in our salvation, that He seals us, That He carries us to the end and helps us to persevere. And even greater, He is constantly praying to the Father in prayers that we don't even know about. Asking the Father to continue to keep us in Christ. Amazing. Amazing. We also need to study God's Word to grow in the knowledge of the truth. The more and more we study God's Word, the more and the more the Spirit will testify with our heart and our mind that this is true. It's nothing but truth. It's come from God's own mouth who is truth. We'll only cling to it more and more and more the more we study it. The more we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, God, help me to believe Your Word. We also need to ask Him to give us strength and wisdom to persevere. We are in the last days. It's only going to become harder and harder to hold fast, brothers and sisters. It's going to be difficult. We're going to be 
ostracized. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be set apart. We're going to be scoffed at for believing a book that was written 2,000 plus years ago. We need to be on our knees. We need to be asking God, hold us fast, Lord. Spirit of God, teach us. Keep us. Help us to be strong and discerning against the lies. And we also need to defend God's truth against those lies, those errors, those attacks. We need to be beacons of light, salt in the earth, so that others may hear the truth. So that the Spirit of God may use us to be a voice that proclaims the Gospel and He breathes life into those who hear it. Rescuing them out of captivity to lies, to false doctrines, to false religions. So that they too may have this blessed assurance, this blessed hope of salvation in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your precious Word. Blessed are You who's given us the Holy Spirit. Spirit, we thank You that You continue to help us persevere in the faith even when we are so weak. I pray that You would strengthen the student, students. You would give them discernment and wisdom from Your Word. Help the, their minds and their hearts to learn from Your Word that they may grow stronger and they may cherish and love the Lord Jesus Christ even more every single day. Give them a hunger for your word, Spirit of God. They may desire it more than gold or silver. May it be sweeter than them than honey. That they would love to turn to it. That they would see that it provides wisdom and understanding for them. That they may discern the lies of the world and the enemy and hold fast in the truth. Give them a boldness and a strength to sound the word of God to the world, that you may rescue more captives from the world in this present evil age. And Jesus, we ask you, come, O Lord, come quickly, so that we may see you, and this faith that we have, this hope, may become sight, and we may see you face to face. Pray this, O Lord, because you are good, And you promise to do all that is within your will. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the More Sure Word podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt Russell. We hope you join us again next week. I'm Riley Whittington, and may God bless you in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.